How many of you are just, you're active on social media? This regular kind of making some posts about something. Come on, raise your hand real high. Active. How many of you are like, I'm, I kind of am active. I'm mostly active on spying on people, but not actually posting, okay? I'm just that you're, you're an avid watcher of people. On sp- okay. And then how many of you are like, I don't even touch social media. My stuff away from me. Anyway, a couple, couple people. Okay, so we, got, we have a decent mix of people in here. Uh, I'm just going to be, my, here's my confession. I'm horrible at social media. Just awful. And when I say awful is, what I'll do is I'll think, hey, here's a fun post. And I'll get something together. And then I'll show, I'll show my wife when I'm going to send out. And she'll be like, mmm, that's horrible. And, and, and actually what she's trying to do, is she, she's actually trying to save me because what happens is, is I don't know what it is about social media, but I have a really bad uh, anxiety when it comes to like doing social media. I'm like, should I say this word or should I say that word? And I'll spend like an hour like trying to craft a post and then it's still my wife. And so my wife is gracious to save me from making horrible posts. Is that not funny? No. Okay. She, my wife is laughing. So I think she thinks it's funny. But anyway, I'm not good at social media, but social media is kind of the, the rule of the day. And what we find is, is we get to follow along with people's stories. We get to see what they're doing. We get to see what they're eating or the places they're going or what they're doing with their kids and things, you, the grandkids or, or what they're doing with their parents or what school. Oh, there's a, a bajillion things you get to see play out on social media. But what we all get to see is the stories of people's lives playing out. Like, what are people actually doing? And of course, we all know that the, the problem with social media is we show all the fun stuff and we don't ever show the bad stuff, right? But nevertheless... It's this unique look into people's lives that we would have never had before, and it's riveting. That's what's true about social media, good, bad, or otherwise, whether you think social media is awesome or or whether you think it's horrible or you're somewhere in between, what we can all be honest about is it's really riveting stuff because we love to see what's playing out in people's lives. That is the intro to the book of Mark. Book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is the story of Jesus. It's what he does. Of all the Gospels, it's the narrative on what Jesus does in the lives of people. It's what happens when Jesus shows up in a room or when Jesus comes to a place. That's what this narrative is is all about, and I love, listen, I love the scriptures all. There's not any part of scripture that's bad. It's all good. We love, I love Matthew. Matthew is literally, it's showing the story of how Jesus is the exact person that the Old Testament kept talking about. The Old Testament from book to book to book, is all, they're all about Jesus. They're all about one who's going to come and fix all the problems. And Matthew's going, let me show you how Jesus keeps pointing to all the Old Testament stuff. John is, the Gospel of John, that book is the one that's saying, listen, hey, This was in the heart of Jesus. This is what he taught. This is what he meant. If you want to dig into what Jesus was thinking and feeling, those things, that's what you want to get into the book of John. But listen, if you want to see what happens when Jesus shows up in people's lives, Mark is your book. And so here's what we're going to do. For the next several weeks, this church is going to explore Jesus the king who shows up and what happens in the lives of people when Jesus comes. 
Not just what happened in that day, but what happens when Jesus shows up in people's lives. That's the study of the book of Mark. That's what we're going to be doing uh, all throughout this series. What happens when God shows up in our lives? And I love from the very first, in fact, if you're in Mark 1, you just look at the very first verse because it gets off right uh, at the very beginning. It says, here it is, here is the good news. Here's the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news about Jesus. He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He's making no, he's mincing, he's not mincing his words here. He's telling exactly who he is. And the reason is he's going to show this. Listen, I'm gonna tell you who he is and this is what he does when he comes into people's lives. And the reason that this book, uh, Mark was written by, Mark was not one of the disciples, but what we know from uh, history is that Mark was the one that was writing down, the one that was hanging out with Peter. And Peter was declaring and saying what, This is what God did when he came to this earth, and Mark starts writing it down. And so we actually have the record of an eyewitness of what Jesus did in the lives of people from Peter to Mark. He was there uh, helping bring narrative and understanding, and what they're going to say is this. Listen, from the get-go, right from that very first scripture, you can't be neutral about Jesus, You either have to, you have to do one of two things. He either is the king of the universe, son of God, or, he, or he's a crazy person. But you don't, you don't get to, to jump in the in-between. The whole narrative of Jesus being a good teacher, a neat philosopher, all of those things that often is the narrative of our modern-day culture about the historical figure of Jesus and all the ways to discredit or the, all the ways to try to say, well, yes, this did or this didn't happen. The eyewitness account is this. Listen, he's the king He is the son of God, and you have to make a decision. And every story and everywhere we go through this series is going to call us up to this issue of what are you gonna do about the son of God and what he he has to say and what he wants to do in our lives. We don't get to remain neutral. We have to actually respond actively to what he's saying. And so here's what's going to happen in the book of Mark. You're going to see this blistering page. Starts to, he's just going to get right into it. He's going to jump in. I mean, it, literally after that, it starts telling us about John the Baptist. We get, Jesus gets baptized in three verses, right? There, by the way, Mark is the, the, the one that doesn't even do the Christmas story. All right, like angels and the donkeys and the, and the stars and, the, you know, and all the, the cute story, like laying in the hay and all that Nowhere to be found in Mark. It's not in there. It's like, hey, Jesus came as the son of God, and here's what he did in the ministry that Jesus came to him. So we see him, he, in, he gets baptized in three verses, and then right after that in chapter one, then Jesus faces the temptation in the wilderness from the devil. He gets, you get two whole verses about that entire story right there. Then he starts his ministry. You get two whole verses starting uh, to tell us about his ministry. He calls the disciples, the calling of the disciples, the guys that are gonna follow him, the guys that are essentially gonna be the foundation of the church. You get five whole verses for that story and then it is time for Jesus to move and he begins to start destroying demonic forces in people's lives. And it's like all of a sudden, we're in, we are in Mark chapter one and Jesus is like pulling demons out of people. And it's like, all right, here we go. What are you gonna do with this dude? What are you gonna do with this man? 
What does he mean? And then we come to this point where God, I love it, we get to see this. Jesus pulls away to go be with the Father. He gets time with him. gets lit up, if you will, by the Father, and he comes back and he begins ministering. And then we come to this point in Mark chapter one, verse 40. You turn to verse 40 and it says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. So you get the picture of a man with a, a disease, skin disease. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and said, I am willing. And he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, before we move on to this story, just, just an understanding of leprosy. So there were rules. These are God-appointed rules all the way, going back all the way to Leviticus 14, 15, 16. And what it said is, listen, when someone gets this external disease called leprosy that literally would begin to eat flesh and disfigure people. So you get leprosy. What the rules were is this. Listen, you can't stay in the camp. You've become, you have this communicable disease, so you can no longer stay in the camp. And the law actually says you have to live outside of the camp. You can't live in the city. You have to be alone. And so what you see are not just one or two, but there are layers of rejection that these people start to feel because of the disease that they have, right? They're socially rejected. You can't, I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but where you're socially rejected, you're, you're not in the cool group. You're not in the okay group. You've got to be on the outside. You don't fit what is right or good, and so you have to Stay over there. We don't want you here. We want you out there. They're financially rejected. They have no way of being able to make money. They have no way of being able to earn a living. They're not allowed to. The only way they can actually survive is if they've got family members that are willing to tend to, to their needs from a distance. So you've got social rejection, you have financial rejection, you've got emotional rejection, because here's all you feel is, I'm a burden to society. I'm a burden to my family. I can't live among people. So I feel the weight of being rejected emotionally. Of course, there's the just very skin disease, the physical rejection, right? My body is not working right. I've got sores, skin disease. You know, there are lots of ailments that we have that are internal, and, and they bother us, and they're, they're, they're difficulty. We, 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 we probably all experience some kind of ailment or issue that's internal, you know, right? And, but nobody knows about those things, right? But what happens when you get a zit? I mean, let's be honest. We obsess over the thing, Right? You get a zit, you guys are like trying not to laugh, but it's funny. You know what I'm talking about, right? You get a zit or a cold sore, you get one of those things, or, right, that's on your face and you're like, uh, uh, you know, like you're looking for the, like, uh, you know, you're, 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 you know, men, we're borrowing our wives' concealer. You know what I'm talking about? No? 
Am I the only one that, okay. All right, that's, that's, okay, never mind. So just moving on, but you know, like, hey, when there's something external, it's like you try to hide, all the internal stuff, how we can act like we're okay, but you got the external thing and we're obsessing over the thing. This is what's going on. They don't, they're not carrying it internally. We're not talking about cancer here. There's something that every day is out there on their person. No one can look at them and think, hey, are you having an okay day? They just immediately look at you and go, your life's rough and awful. You imagine the re- just thinking that way. You can't go anywhere without being rejected. It's, it, 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 it's a painful thing to think about. And then ultimately here, they're actually spiritually rejected because they cannot come in the way they would come. You cannot come in and make an offering to the Lord. You aren't allowed. Your access to God, in, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, your access to God was through the priesthood and your offering to him, and you can't do it. You are utterly and completely rejected. Not a facet of life, not re- religiously, emotionally, in any way, physically, it's all a mess. And it begs kind of the question, have you ever been in that place where you feel like your mess is bad? You feel distance from the Lord because you don't have, you, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's physically, but you feel like God is a million miles away. And you've had the thought, if people actually knew how messy I really was, or if people really knew the ways that I struggle, or if people really knew the ways that I've failed. And we carry this sense or thought of rejection because we know the shortcomings in our own lives or the ways that our lives or the ways that our bodies don't measure up or the ways that we don't measure up to what maybe our culture talks about. And Jesus in this moment wants to say, listen, I care about the needs of our lives And this is the burning question that we have to ask. And this is what this leper came before Jesus in boldness with. And that's that question. Are you willing, God, to deal with my mess? Are you willing to deal with my emotional mess or my financial mess or my physical mess? my emotional mess, but God, are you willing to deal? And this man had really all of those things. And he came before Jesus and he just makes a bold assertion. I mean, Jesus just jumped in and he says, listen, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can make me whole. You can make me right. If you're willing to do that, I I believe this is true of you. That's a question that every one of us feels deeply. But here's the question that's beneath the question is this. Do we believe that the mercy of God is as great as the power of God? Meaning this, I think you, my guess is you're probably in a place where you're willing to say, I believe God can heal. I believe God can do that. 
The bigger question is, do I believe he's willing in mercy to meet me in this place? It's not so much about the power. In fact, I think we struggle and we wrestle more believing on the mercy and the goodness of God than we do the power of God. I think, I think we all can make an ascent to the great power of God, but the question is, does he actually come in in these real ways? And here's his answer, verse 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now listen, if Jesus wants to heal somebody, he can just snap his fingers and just say a word, all right? The entire universe was created by the breath of God. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches this man to say, I'm with you. I'm with you in the mess. I have compassion for what you're walking through. Whatever rejection you're feeling, I'm here. And I have compassion and I have mercy. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Here's this powerful encounter with someone who's just got faith enough to say, I believe you're willing to meet me in that place of brokenness. I believe that you're willing to come and meet me in this place where I feel rejected. Now, what's unbelievably powerful, Jesus, is that as we see this story coming along, that Jesus doesn't just stop at this point, but he wants to bring his compassion to a whole nother level. All right, whole nother level. Let me say whole nother level. Okay, that was awful. All right, hey, Jesus wants to bring his compassion to a whole nother level. So here's what happens. We see Jesus meet this man in his physical need, but then there's, a, there's yet another man that he encounters Continuing on the story in Mark chapter 2. And I want you to look at this. A few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum. And the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, and they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, uh, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So, okay, just pause the story right here. Couple things. One, and this is just a total side note, but man, we need like, we need four dudes that are willing to go to this level for us. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, uh, do you have four people that are willing to go to bat for you this way? I mean, there's, these four guys are here and they're going, listen, we can't get the, this guy's paralyzed. We can't get him to, over to Jesus. We want it. So we're willing to go to the rooftop. <laughs> and carve out a hole. I'm just gonna be honest with you. If we were here in this room right now and then somebody like hacked through the wall and so we'd, everybody would be like, all right, we're just gonna stop. All right, and just 
I don't care what century you do this, this is highly disruptive, it just doesn't matter. There's no like, well, in the first century, this is a normal thing. No, this is really crazy. These four buddies really loved this guy and said, we want your life to be whole and free. We want, we want this freedom for you, dudes. So this is just like total mini side sermon. Everybody needs four dudes or dudettes that are willing to go to bat for them, right? They're just willing to go there. And if you don't have it, this is what God designed, desires for us. I think it's, it's, not, it's not, this is implicit in the story. This is just my, this is Keith translation, but I just, hey, get four buddies that love you this way. All right, back to the story. Okay, now I love this because this seems to be not the most compassionate thing in the world. At first glance, you're looking at this story. These men lower this man down and he's looking at him and he's clearly, I mean, it's very clear he's needing, he's paralyzed, he needs physical change and transformation in his body and he sees their faith. They're willing to destroy somebody's roof to get these guys through their believing. I mean, they believe with their whole heart that Jesus can do this thing. All right, and he marvels at their faith and he looks at them and he looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I don't, I, I don't know how things probably went exactly in the first century, but I can just a little bit imagine the guy going, thanks? I, th- thank you for the, the, the sin thing it just and helping me with that. But I don't know if you know this or not, but we destroyed the roof and my buddies let me down here because I have a, a, a big issue. My body doesn't work right. And, Jesus, and I would like for you to take care of that. I mean, he's got these friends that are audacious to do this thing and Jesus marveling at their faith and, and, and that he goes to this issue. And we see the issue beginning to take shape because Jesus knows something that the man doesn't fully know yet. And here's the compassion of Jesus. Jesus knows there is an issue and a condition that is worse than his body that isn't working right. There's a deeper thing here. There's something going on deeper than his physical condition. Essentially, he's saying, listen, I understand. I understand your problems. I see your suffering. I I understand that. But I want you to know there is a main problem. There is a main issue in a person's life that goes beyond suffering in the body and it's called sin. And it feels maybe just in this moment, just a little bit insensitive. But if you pause for just a moment, you get to the root of the heart of why Jesus would say this thing. And what he's going to show us is he's gonna look into the eyes of this man and say, I care for you on a deeper level than any external thing could ever show. I care about your soul and the heart that is inside of you, right? Because think about, it. if somebody comes to you and says, listen, if somebody were to come to you and say, listen, the main problem in your life, the main issues in your life, it's not what's happened to you or the 
ailment that you have or maybe not what people have done to you, but the main issue in your life is the way that you respond to those things. You might think that it might feel insensitive, but the truth is it's actually really freeing because here's the truth. None of us can control the external circumstances of our lives. The one thing that we have the ability to respond to is what's going on inside. So that when Jesus looks at this man first, looks at his external circumstance that he cannot fix and he cannot control, what he does is he opens up the door for freedom by saying, hey, I wanna talk about the thing that really matters inwardly. And that is where your heart is on this issue of brokenness and sin. Taking this moment to say, listen, God has, there's something broader and and bigger that's hurting and wounding you. And I wanna take you there and I wanna talk to you about it. Right, because this is what Jesus does in our lives is he's willing to deal with the thing that's most critical and most important. I think we will see and have seen in our lives that Jesus is willing to heal the external things. He's willing to come into those places that we feel rejected as we saw with the man who had leprosy. But we know, what we see here is that he cares in a deeper way. Jesus wants to drive down deep to the heart place. And he says, I wanna deal with some heart things. I know you want me to fix the immediate. I know you want me to fix the, those life circumstances, to fix the finances, to fix the sickness, or to fix the allergies, or to fix the dyslexia, or the immobility, or the paralysis, or whatever it is that you find yourself wrestling with on the external. I understand those things, and I have compassion to those things, and I wanna speak and come and meet you in that place. But there's something on a deeper level that I wanna get to and I wanna address. And it's because of my love and compassion. Listen, uh, in this instance or in this case, everyone who's had uh, an external ailment, and I'd say more specifically, anyone that's ever struggled with any kind of paralysis or immobility, the most natural thing in the world is to want to not have that anymore. The most natural thing in the world is to think, man, if this was fixed, my life would be better. Every fiber of their being, I wanna be able to walk, I wanna be able to move. And I, oh, most assuredly, this guy's thinking, if I just walk again, then my life would be fixed. I don't know if you've ever had that thought before. It might, have been some, it might have been a physical ailment. It might be something else. But have you ever had that thought? If this issue or thing, if this thing was just fixed, then my life would be okay. If, if I could just do this thing or if I could just have that thing, then I would be happy. Then everything would be okay. If we could just get this thing lined up right, then my life would be just right. If I could get the dollars to work out or if I could get my body to be fixed this way or if I could get this circumstance at my workplace, if we could just do that, then everything would be okay. If there could just be this one thing. That's exactly where this man and his friends find himself. That's a normal thing to feel. 
But Jesus loves this man with such compassion. He wants to say something. And here's what he wants to say. And this is one of those deep things that God wants to pull out of us because he wants to say, listen, my son, you are mistaken. And it might even sound a little bit harsh just for a minute. I think it does when you just read this on the cursory level. Your mistake, listen, I could fix these, I can fix the thing for you. I have the power to overcome this ailment. But can we just be honest in our humanity? It doesn't fix the stuff. You ever found yourself really, really wishing and wanting for something? And then you get there, and guess what? You still have problems, and you still have it else, and you still have fears and worries and concerns and anxieties and whatever it else that we feel plagued by. You get the heal, you can get the healing, or you get the answer, and guess what? Two months later, there's still another longing. There's still another thing. And we find ourselves internally, it doesn't fix the deeper issue. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. The roots of discontentment in the human heart go deep, and Jesus means to go deeper, to begin to pull at those roots. I was reading, uh, as a studying for this message, uh, Tim Keller's book, uh, on the, it's actually on the book of Matthew, uh, or I'm sorry, on the book of Mark, uh, called uh, Jesus the King. And he actually is talking about this issue and he cites an article from a New York magazine that was written uh, in the early 90s. And he said he read this article and it struck him to his core. And what he said is the author was writing and the author said this. Author said, listen, I have known lots of people who have... Uh, desired to make it big in Broadway and uh, be able to actors, people who wanted to be actors and actresses, but they, they, they weren't there yet. And so what they would do is they'd get these jobs and they'd get, you know, they'd work in diners or coffee shops or they literally work in the theater house and they're the person that's punching the ticket and they just want to make it. They're looking for their opportunity for breakthrough and they're perfectly good people, um, but they, but they they're struggling through to get there. And then, and their thought is, if I could only make it big, then I would be happy. And then when, and literally the author's talking about, I've seen these people finally make their break. And it says they, and the author says they became, all that thing they've been longing for, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, and manic. Not just arrogant as you might expect somebody to make it in the, the biz, but it says worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. And here's what she says, and I just want, I'll throw it up on the screen just so you can read it with me. Look at what she says. She says, I, I pity these celebrities. She says, no, I do. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed. The morning after, each of them became uh, famous. They wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness 
had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And then Tim Keller, a a pastor and and author and, and renowned theologian, it says he, she adds a statement that took my breath away. And here's what the author says. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. This is not coming from a Christian author. This is coming from someone who's just watching the realities of life and seeing that there is a tendency in humanity to look at external things and say, if I just had this, I would then be happy. And Jesus is drilling down in this man's life to say, hey, there's something so much more important than the external. And I want you to know about it. I care about that. I love it. Keller finishes in in his book. He says, you know what Jesus is saying to the paralyzed man? I'm not gonna play that rotten joke on you. I'm not just going to heal your body and let you think you've gotten your deepest wish. He's saying, listen, it is not wrong to want for the Lord to come in and fix those things. In fact, I think we're meant to ask. I think we're supposed to ask for God to meet us in all those places where we feel broken, where we are broken, where we feel rejected, where we sense and experience broken things on the external. I don't think any of that's wrong. In fact, I think what we see throughout the scripture is Jesus cares deeply about those things that are meaningful to us. But he said, but I wanna also drill deeper with you. I want to go to that place, past all that. I care all about those things in your life, but I wanna talk about sin and I wanna talk about that unforgiveness thing that's eating you up inside. I wanna talk about the pride that keeps you isolated and alone. I wanna talk about the anxieties and the fears, where those places where you don't want to trust me, where you say with your mouth, you're my king, but then your actions speak that the kingship still sits with you. He cares about, Jesus cares more about the, just the temporary things. He cares about those deep places. That's where compassion really is. I'm willing to drill down to those places where you hold me at an arm's distance. Do you ever, I don't know if you've ever felt that before where you sense maybe some of the stuff that's broken inside of you. When I, when, I, when I say those things that are broken inside of you, I mean those places where we don't wanna trust God, where we wanna do our own thing. I don't know if you've ever felt that and when you felt maybe the Lord pressing on something. Meaning where the Lord in his grace is whispering, hey, there's an attitude, a thought process that I wanna talk to you about. There's a place in your heart where you've got a wall up against me and I wanna come past that place. There's something that you're walking in, I wanna bust through that. And what the scripture actually says in Romans 2 is what it says is this, is the way that God's going to begin to deal with those issues in us is, is through his kindness. It says actually, do you not know this? That the kindness of God is going to lead our hearts to repentance. 
that the things that God wants to fix in us, he doesn't come with a heavy hammer. The things that God wants to fix inside of us, he comes to us with compassion. To say, I, I understand all the external ailment. I just, I just wanna go to a deeper place. Will you go there with me? That's ultimately the question. He says, listen, you're more than a, a, blob of chi- a blob of tissues trying to make it to retirement. These matter to, matter to God. Your life matters to him. Your days matter to him. Your choices matter to him. Your heart matters to him. I feel choked up because I know the Lord's pressing on me on some internal stuff. I feel like that kindness, it's not an angry leader ready to dash us to pieces with all of our external stuff. It's a kind God who wants to pull us up in compassion. And of course, Jesus is good and he's kind. And Jesus knows, by the way, that the religious authorities are saying, who on earth has the right to forgive sin? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, no, duh, I'm him, right? That's the, my translation. So he says, listen, I want to drill down to the heart stuff because I am the king of that. And then he goes and he says, listen, uh, which is easier to say that, uh, what, he says, why are you thinking these things, you religious uh, phonies says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk? By the way, I read several commentaries, and nobody's resolved on which thing is easier. Which thing is easier to say? That's really not the issue, is it? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk home. And he met him. And he took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I love this. I just want to say something. I didn't even ask Kent if I could do this. <clears throat> Kent, <clears throat> got to say your name. Kent Phillips, one of the elders in our church. Several years ago, he had a stroke. And it took away some of his mobility. And even more recently, he had another stroke and kind of knocked him back down and dealt with some of his peripheral vision, couldn't see as, as good as he could before. And I've gotten to be around him for two years as one who's helping lead our church. We've contended and just asked God for healing, prayed with him, he and Brenda, just asking for healing and wholeness for his body. And we've asked for those things, and we continue to ask for those things. But can I tell you something? We don't get to have, we can't have an elders meeting without Kent declaring the greatness of God in his life. I, we can't. We can't, honestly, we can't get him to shut up. He just keeps talking. He just keeps speaking of the greatness of God. 
We're trying to get to church matters, and he's just proclaiming how good God is and how much God wants to rule over his heart, how much he wants to respond to what God is doing in his life, be used by him, and it's just this. He's the picture that I get of a man who maybe can't use his body in the ways that he would like to be able to use him. I know he'd love to be able to run and jump and do cartwheels, or maybe not. I don't know if you want to do cartwheels or not, but a man that loves, but is a man who has given his life to open up and say, God, you get to go to the deeper stuff. You get to go there. I'm not withholding. And he changes the atmosphere. Changes my life. He moves things in the spirit. And we get to be a part of that. And I just want to look at every one of us and say, We may have all kinds of external stuff that isn't working right. And we're just hoping for a day that God will work in it. And that's okay. But not before we say, God, is there anything else that you need to fix in me? In your compassion, what do you want to drill down to? What's the deep place that you want to go? What do you want to work on? What do you want to move in me? The question is this. Not is Jesus willing. The question is, are we willing? He asks the question. The leper says, God, if you're willing, you can clean me. My question for us, New River, is this. Are we willing to ask, God, would you come? Are we willing? God, fix me, change me, come in, go to that deeper place. Feel that in my own life and want to be a people that come together and ask God to do that. To ask him to move in that way. God's going after the heart. And here's what we discover. What we'll discover is that the deepest desire of our heart was actually never the external thing getting fixed. The deepest desire was always him. He's the We're all going to run and jump and laugh and play and sing and shout with the fullness of might in our bodies. We won't have a care in the world. It's all a promise for every one of us who believe in him. We will have that promise. God is calling us to begin to live in it now with him, to trust him even when we don't feel or see it. He's the answer. He's the cry of our heart. He's the, he's the deepest desire. If you could say anything, I'd say that. He's the deepest desire. So we'll be a people that ask God to work mightily in our lives and in the lives of other people. But we first and foremost must make the confession, Jesus, would you be the deepest desire of my life? Answer the deepest cries in my heart. And I pray that that would be true of us. In fact, we're doing this Sunday night, this freedom group, for that very purpose. That I can guarantee you every one of the weeks that we're coming together, the point of coming together in our freedom group is to say, Jesus, how do you become the deepest desire of my life? That's why we're doing it. And I would say this is why we exist. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna finish. Jeremy, would you just come up? Just, just you, just come up real quick and...
And we're just gonna get, we're gonna literally take five minutes and just close our eyes and get before the Lord. And here's what I want you to do. If you could just, just two minutes, let everything else fade. You don't need to worry about your spouse or your kids or anything. Just between you and the Lord. Lord Jesus, we want to come and we want to be honest with you. And we just want to say, there's all kinds of things that we hope for. But here's the confession we want to make. We know there are deeper places still you want to go. Just like that man lowered out of that roof. There are places that you want to address deep down. And maybe we've, maybe it's been something we've been running from you for a decade. And you're just so compassionate. You don't come with a heavy hammer. You come with an encouragement. And you say this, I'm willing. I want to show you who I am. show you the deepest desire of your heart. So would you be willing to ask, Lord, show me how my heart can be settled. Things may not be perfect on the surface, but Lord, can my heart be settled in trusting calling you king, letting my heart and my soul be at rest, that you're drilling down to the deep place. Just give him permission right there. Just where you're at, say, you have permission to drill down. I'm not going to hold you and your will hostage because my external thing is not fixed yet. Just tell him. I want the external thing solved, but I'm just telling you, I'm not, that is not going to take the place of you dealing and drilling down deep, letting my heart honor you. We come, Lord, with hands wide open, ready to receive from you. You. We receive you. Not just what you bring, but we we receive you. sing that. We're going to just sing that the goodness of God is running after me. And just where you're at, if you don't need to sing, don't sing, but I just, we're going to take this literally two minutes and sing this phrase and just believe that the goodness of God is running after you. You believe that in your heart of hearts and when ask God to anchor this down in your soul. Let's just sing this together.
make this your prayer. Offer it up to Him. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Just declare it. And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I Goodness of God is running after us. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. You believe He's running after you. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. My life laid down, surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Make this your anthem. Make it your song. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. If my life laid down, surrender now. Give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. God, we will not leave this room without knowing that you are so good and so compassionate and so kind. That you are willing to break through every barrier and every blockade and every chain to declare your goodness over us. Show us who you are and give us yourself. You never fail in giving us what we need. And what we need is you. And I pray that we walk in that this week. I pray we live in that in a very real way. I bless you. We bless your name together. And we honor you for being all that we've ever needed. For God to come. The end of our, we're going to have some prayer partners down front. We'd love to pray with you. If you're just asking for God to come and meet you in that place, we want to pray with you. We'll have some people down here to do that. I'm going to say amen here in a moment. I pray and I bless right now the work of God in our lives. We leave this place knowing the goodness of God, His compassion, it never ceases. So far beyond our comprehension, I pray that that goodness would wash over us tomorrow morning when we wake up. Blessings, guys. Love you. You're dismissed. Prayer partners will be down front just to connect with you, pray with you about anything.